the, the title of the message is, I Thank God. Now, how about that? Being thankful to God. And in uh, our Sunday school lesson this morning, um, was about thanksgiving and praise to God. And so it's kind of where I came up with this, uh, or led, led into this scripture that we have, that we have today in 1 Corinthians. Um, David in the Psalms interjects the concept that we should live perpetually prepared. I like that. Perpetually prepared. Perpetually prepared to offer a blessing rather than to receive one. Some people go out, I always like this illustration, some people go out in the morning and they have an empty bag wanting to go out and fill it so that whenever they come home. Then there are other people that go out with a full bag and they want to make sure it's empty when they get home. One person is always trying to gather things to themselves, and another is always wanting to share and to, to, you know, to put things into other people's lives. So we look at blessings from God kind of in the same way, that we are to be thankful, grateful, helpful people, that we are to share the things that God has given to us, but most of all, I think we are to share the, our praise to God for all the good things that he has done. So we should have a continual praise in our heart and be thankful to God, not because everything's going great, but because we trust God to do everything well. And well means that God will perform his will. And so whenever we think of in everything give thanks, it isn't that God is the author of everything that happens in life. You know, bad people instigate bad things. But God is overall control, and we are then looking to God to solve the problem. We are looking to God to solve the concern, and so our way of having confidence in God to make the situation, turn the situation around, is to be thankful. We're thanking God that in all things, God will perform his will and his purpose, and he will help us do what we are supposed to do and, and, and bringing that about. So it is an opportunity for us then to praise God. And so in praising him, we are offering him the glory, God the glory, for what he is doing and what he will do. So whenever we have studied in the book of Acts on Wednesday night, we looked at Acts in chapter 19. Was, uh, Paul was in Ephesus, and it is from, the play, from Ephesus that he wrote uh, 1 Corinthians. And this was Paul's third missionary journey that he went on. And the city of Corinth was located in southern Greece, and it was a Roman province of Achaia, about 45 miles west of Athens. So I'm sure you got that map in your head, right? 45 miles west of Athens, okay. Corinth was so morally corrupt <laughs> that... Um, its name became synonymous with debauchery and moral depravity. I mean, it's just a wicked city. You're, you've been Corinthianized, you know, you've been corrupted. You know, things are so bad, you're a Corinthian. You know, that was the slang, a slang word that they would have done. And probably the, one of the great um, aids in this debauchery that went on was the temple they had to Aphrodite, in which she, a Greek goddess, uh, of love, they employed over a thousand uh, prostitutes uh, in, in, to work in the, in the temple. So the church in Corinth was founded by Paul on his second missionary journey. So in Acts chapter 18, we have 
Paul, we have him writing his letter on his third missionary journey, but his second missionary journey is when he started the church in Corinth. So if we want to know, Paul had three missionary journeys. And what happens is Paul sets out to preach the gospel, and he goes to different towns and, and, you know, around um, the eastern area there, and he goes to those different towns. And then he, after a while, he goes back on a second journey, which expands it to many more cities. And, of course, then there's the third missionary journey in which he goes back and revisits all those places that he has visited to, you know, started churches. And he went there and he spent time in those, in those areas, some as much as a year and a half, two years he spent in communities establishing the churches there. But in Acts chapter 18, then, we have what is written uh, uh, to um, the church at Corinth, which we are looking at here. So Paul ministered to Corinth for more than a year and a half. The people were (laughs) unable to break their cultural um, forms that they had come from. They were very much in uh, argumentative. (laughs) They came from different backgrounds. Um, You know, the the Jewish individuals coming from the background of the law, the Greeks from the mythology and the gods, and, you know, all those different things that they were worshiping and the gods of, you know, they had gods to everybody. And so it was, a, it was a difficult place to establish a church, the beginning of a church. And if you think about it, the beginning of the church in Corinth was, it was an introduction of Jesus Christ to the people in the, in the Corinthian area. And um, it was a very wicked place, and they had no concept, they had no moral compass in their life. The, they, they had no sense of, again, of right and wrong. It was basically what you can get away with. So the major thrust, then, of this epistle is not doctrine. The, uh, it is correct behavior. <laughs> so the people had, didn't have a clue what was correct behavior. We think some people need to have that brought into their life. You know, what is correct behavior? Well, Paul, in this letter, writes to Corinth and is telling them about correct, correct behavior. Whenever we think of 1 Corinthians, often we go to chapter 13, the love chapter, and if you look at the cultural background of these people, that what Paul writes about love, these people had no concept of it. They had no idea of sacrificial love, of not keeping score of wrongdoing. You know, they always kept score. And we find that in the, um, the language that was written, there are basically four words for love. For us, we trans- it's all love, you know. One is uh, philae, uh, Philadelphia, Philadelphia, brotherly love, you know, between a, a family love. There is... Uh, Parental love, there is also, um, I always called it MTV love, you know, which isn't love, it's lust, lust on a, whatever. And then, of course, there's sacrificial love, in which you're willing to sacrifice yourself. So that's the love that God has. And so when Paul writes this letter to them, they, he, he's introducing to them the love of Christ, which is a sacrificial love. And so the people of Corinth, then, they had, they had no idea. And so, again, Paul is writing to them about correct behavior. Um, Paul writes to them to help them through their struggles, the struggles with their environment. It was a wicked city, and they're trying to live a godly life. 
They were surrounded by corruption and every conceivable sin. And then they felt the pressure to conform to their surroundings. People were all, you know, you, you know uh, the old uh, peer pressure. And so their greatest uh, need was to understand what their freedom in Christ was all about. So how do we become free in Christ and yet live in a society like that of Corinth? Well, let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1. And we have the introduction here going on. Paul called, as an, Paul called as an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother, to the church of God which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling, with all who in every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. So what we have here would be like a general introduction. In, in, um, when we're writing a letter, you always write, Dear so-and-so, and at the end of the page, at the end of the letter, you sign your name. Well, in this time, Paul was, you sign your name at the beginning. <laughs> you want to know, well, who's this letter from? And so Paul tells them who it's from, and he also lets them know that he is doing this. It's, it's about our Savior, Jesus Christ our Savior. Hmm. You know, he's aligning himself with the Corinthian believers. And he's telling them that grace to you and peace, that this divine favor of God is on your life, and therefore it is also peace to be with you. Now, the, the, the corruption in the city of Corinth <laughs> was, was, you know, evident. And so there was, as we said, there was a lot of pressure on them to basically abandon their faith and go back to their old way of doing things. And, and Paul is telling them, the peace from God our Father is coming to you through our Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which, has, which was given you in Christ Jesus. This is the verse that draw me, drew me to this section or to this chapter. It was, it, it so goes along with what we were talking in Sunday school uh, about how that uh, being thankful and, and being and offering gratitude to God is so important and, and such a great part of our life that we have to, uh, as we said, it, it, you know, um, one, of the, one of the thoughts was in the commentary talked about in, in the church today, people go to church to, to go get their blessing, <laughs> You know, but in reality, it should be that we are going there to bless God. That we are going in our life, we are about blessing God. But in that whole concept of blessing God, remember reciprocal, we talked about that last week, that when we give something to God, God is always, always, <laughs> he's always giving it back. He's always initiating the good, and we're just finding the good and being thankful for it. And so thanking God for the good that he has done is looking at his divine provision, looking at his love for us, his grace, his divine favor. So whenever we are being thankful, we are recognizing that God is in my life, that he is part of who I am. You know, when you find something <laughs> that you've lost, you know, oh, thank God, you know, thank you, Lord. Be deliberate. You know, when things go right, be deliberate. When things don't go right, be deliberate in thanking God. 
because it is, it is right that we give thanks to God. Because it is his sovereignty, he is sovereign. God needs nothing. <laughs> he doesn't need anything. But what he desires is to have fellowship with his creation. And for his creation to recognize all the good that, that he has done for them. And continues to do for them. The, the other expression that was in our, our lesson talked about how that as people, we live in a dying world. But God lives in an eternal life world. And so whenever we are praising God, we are, con as it were, connecting ourselves to the eternal life. That God will, we will praise God forever. What does that mean? It means that in this life and in life to come, we're going to continue to praise God. So we're just getting started on it. You're just getting started at praising God. And so it's going to be part of who we are for eternity. Why not start now? Yes, thank you. Amen. You can sit down. You don't have to stand up. <laughs> oh, Lord, what a wonderful day. So, <laughs> it is a wonderful day. You know? Yeah, one, one guy said, I'm walking and I'm talking and, you know, hey, it's a good day. So, but we are walking and talking and whether we're living and dying, it doesn't matter. We're gods and it's a good day. You know, my thought is I want to wake up dead. Amen. Right in heaven. Forget all this laying around waiting for stuff to happen. You know, we're in this life and we'll wake up in the next one. So, but until that happens, we want to give thanks to God. Because of God's greatness to us, we are so rich in his mercy. His mercy is that he has the ability to just, you know, we could be, you know, you ever see a, you know, I'm sure none of you have ever done this. You see an ant walking along the ground there and you just, you know, and then you walk on. And you go, maybe I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> Spiders, that's okay. But anyhow, <laughs> <laughs> but you see, <laughs> mercy is saying, I have the power to do, but I don't. God is that way. He has the power to squish us, squash us, you know, any other type of us, and he doesn't. Punish us. No. He's not interested in punishing us. He's interested in redeeming us. He's interested in bringing us back to a right relationship with him or bringing us into a right relationship with him. So that's why we give thanks. That's why we worship him. We worship him with our praise and with our adoration. He knows the thoughts and the intents of our heart. You can't fake worshiping God because he knows what you're thinking. You know, other people may say, wow, isn't that lovely? But God knows, nah, I'm too lovely. I know what's going on in there. Well, God, even in the simplest acts of praise, he knows what's going on in there. And he, re and he rewards. He, his mercy endureth forever. His grace, unmerited favor, his divine favor is on your life. Think of it in the context that he, he wants his favor. God looks favorably upon you. Okay? God looks favorably upon you. 
He, he sees the good, and he, he wants to bestow the good in us, on you. And he is rich in mercy, that no matter what we do wrong, it isn't that it gives us permission to do it, but whatever we do something wrong and recognize it, God isn't there ready to punish us. So he is rich in mercy, and he is rich in his grace, and he wants us to be secure in our relationship with him so that we will bless him. And in, in turn, that will be a blessing to us. You, you see, you can't give something to God without receiving something back. You can't give him worship and praise without receiving something back. So God, is in, God wants us, he, he inhabits the praises of his people. He doesn't need them. You know, he doesn't need this praise and worship, but he desires the worship and the praise of his people so that he can bestow blessings upon us. So in everything, give thanks. So, so it's a willingness to command, commend those who are doing well according to the gospel. Paul shows a willingness, as he is saying here in this, in this expression that he has, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus. He shows us that he is not blind to or forgetful of the good qualities. Paul sees this. What, and what is the goal of all of this? That, in, that we will see the mercies of God that are extended to us, and then we will be merciful to others. Hmm. You see, we will, we will receive the graciousness of God and we will be gracious to others. It's the nature of God. It'll be the nature of us. You see, it is that God loves us and we will have the nature of God to love others. You, you see, it isn't something that we are creating. It's something God has already created. And we are simply being recipients of it and then passing it on. Verse 5 says, that in everything you were enriched in him. So Paul is telling the, the Corinthians, now remember, <laughs> this letter is about um, correcting wrong behavior. <laughs> okay? So he doesn't start out by saying, you know, you guys got it all wrong. <laughs> you guys have really messed it up. You, you know, you, you, I thought you gave up that old life and you moved away from it whenever you became a believer in Jesus. You shouldn't be doing this and you shouldn't be doing that. No. He starts off by telling them how rich they are in their relationship with God. And if you see how rich you are in your relationship with God, you see how poor you are away from God. <laughs> you see that the, the, the things that the world offers is death and separation and poverty and selfishness. But we find that in Christ we have life and, and freedom and love and forgiveness. Verse 5, that in everything you were enriched in him, in all speech and in all knowledge, their relationship with God was an enriching experience. You see, we think, oh, let's be rich. <laughs> we think of money, you know power that way but God is Paul is telling them that God that your experience with him is an enriching one that his word his word his word has become a foundation that that surrounds us that surrounds us and keeps our heart 
Thy word have I hidden my heart that I might not sin against thee. There is a security in knowing who Jesus is. So the apostle intends to denote the fact that these blessings had been conferred on them abundantly. God has given these blessings, these enriching things, in abundance. I know um, sometimes whenever I speak with people and you know, we're, we're, you know, they want, they're praying. They don't know whether they should pray for God to help them out and to bless them because they don't know if they've used up their quantity yet. You know, God only has so much in store for them, and if they've used it all up, they don't want to do that because what are they going to do for the rest of their life if they've used up all that God has for them? We call them stupid in their faith <laughs> because they do not see what God has for them, that God is not limited. God has no limits. You know, God doesn't have limits. He doesn't have, you know, one piece of pie for you. Imagine, I'd be, I'd, I'd be out of luck already. He only had one piece of pie for me. But, uh, <laughs> but the idea is he has so much in store for us that he wants us, that it comes in abundance. The fact is that we are confident in the abundance that God has for us. We are, and, and we are also that this was a valuable endowment. What God gives to you is of eternal value. See, what God blesses you with doesn't just come to here today and gone tomorrow. It is that which is part of our ongoing growth and that it is an eternal endowment. It will be part of you forever. God's relationship with you and his blessings and the things that you grow to know and understand in your relationship with God will be with you forever. <laughs> it's not going to go away. And so we find that he has a valuable endowment and the prop, the, it is properly called a treasure. <laughs> it is a treasure. It is something that God, the mercies of God, uh, are part of a treasure chest, a treasure that God has given to us and he wants us to value this treasure. So, Verse 6 says, Even as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed and established in you, <laughs> the divine confirmation, whether you know it or not, God has divinely confirmed what he has placed in your life. Sometimes we miss it. Sometimes we overlook it. And sometimes it is such a monumental experience <laughs> that we are, wow, God has touched my life. Sometimes it's very simple. Sometimes it's very minimal. Sometimes it's just an overwhelming um, presence of God that comes into our life. And it, you know, it doesn't happen every day or it wouldn't be, <laughs> it wouldn't be a, a, a treasure. It wouldn't be something that we treasure. It would become some, something we call ordinary but we find that God has a divine confirmation. 
That's why we stay true to him. That's why we continue to live for him. There's this divine confirmation. There's a divine stamp of approval. Often people refer to the end of time and the Antichrist and, and that people will re- receive the mark of the Antichrist. That, you know, be tattooed on their forehead or on the back of their hands. That you can't buy or sell without that. God has already marked us as his children. <laughs> He's already put his seal on our life. He's already numbered us, as it were. He, our names are written in his book of life, and his name is written in our life. You know, in the spiritual realm, evil looks and evil sees, well, they're one of his. <laughs> they're one of God's. We better be careful how we approach this. <laughs> you see, evil doesn't come right at you. It tries to sneak in the back door. It tries to come in away. Because evil cannot attack you straight on because God is in your life and they are afraid of God. <laughs> evil is afraid of God. And you have the mark of God on your life. The blood of Jesus Christ covers us washes us from sin, that God walks with us and he talks with us, that he is to our right, to our left, he's above us, beneath us, in front of us, behind us. God surrounds us. We are enveloped in his presence, and evil has to be careful because if they stomp on us or try to step on us like stepping on an ant, they're going to be in deep trouble (laughs) because the blood of Jesus Christ is so powerful, they are afraid. That you are not lacking, verse 7, you are not lacking in any gift. That's what he's telling the Corinthians. You are not lacking in any gift. These are people, <laughs> these are an, a group of individuals who have, don't have the right, they maybe have the right uh, doctrine, but they don't have the right conduct. Now, if I were not, if I were going to, if I were in charge, <laughs> You know, if I were in charge of this, I would certainly take away all their gifts. You know, let them try and do it on their own. Paul says, verse 7, you are not lacking in any gift, awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. You are not lacking in any gift. If God is giving to the Corinthians, <laughs> and, and that the, the, the Corinthians have been recipients of the gifts that God has for them, how much more so is for you and I? You are not lacking in any gift. You know, there's a difference, uh, and I heard one of that was a football challenge or something, football channel we were listening to, and, and, the, and the, I think it was Mike Tomlin, but don't quote me on that. And he says, well, there, there are things that people get naturally from God. He said, there are talents, there are, there are talents that people get, no, there are gifts that come naturally to people from God. Talent is something they have developed on their own. I like that. You know, lots of people have gifts, but they don't use them. They, they just kind of let them lie dormant. doesn't mean anything to them. And so whenever we find that we have gifts, and then we take those gifts and, and, and hone them and become better at them, practice them and work on them, that's why you're going to have practice. <laughs> hone your gifts. Hone your abilities. 
And that's why we're in church. That's why we pray. But then we are focusing in on the giftings that God has given to us. So they are not lacking in any gift. So I would say to us, what gift are you lacking? Um, well, you see, we, we're not lacking in any gift. There are some things we would like to have, but that doesn't mean we lack the gift to get them. <laughs> there are some things we don't have, but it's not because God hasn't given us the ability to get them. See, we have the ability. We just, we just lack the initiative. Verse 8. Who will also confirm you to the end? He will, God will keep you to the end. Now, this is the Corinthian believers who aren't acting right. And Paul is telling them God is going to keep them. Even in all their faults and failures, he's telling them God is going to keep you. And he's going to keep you to the end. And what is he going to keep you to the end? Blameless. You failed. You did this wrong. No, blameless. In the day of the Lord Jesus Christ, verse 9, and we'll close with this one, because God is faithful. God is faithful. Well, weren't we just talking about how unfaithful the Corinthians were? We're not talking about how unfaithful the Corinthians are. Paul is telling them how faithful God is. That's why we are to give thanks, because God is faithful. We are to bless God, because God is faithful. He will never fail you. He will never forsake you. He will never leave you. So in our, in our everyday life, we must remember God is. He is. He is eternal. He needs nothing. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He is all things. He created this place. Now, deism says God created the, the, the world and then he stepped back and he's just waiting to see how it goes, how it ends up. That's not what we believe. God created this place and yet he, sa- he stands back and he watches and he is part of every person. He's part of uh, each believer. His desire is that those who don't know him will come to him. And, and the whole idea is to know for us who believe that God is faithful. The one who has called them unto the communion of his son. We have been called by God to have this relationship with Jesus Christ. That is eternal. And that God is faithful. And therefore he will complete his work. God will complete the work that he has begun in you. That no trials, no sufferings, no need will make them doubt that all is well with God. All is well with what God wants to do in your life. God is faithful. He who has begun a good work in you, he will complete it. God has a purpose. He will complete it. God has a plan. He is faithful. He will complete it. So in our giftings and in our life, we have the opportunity to grow and to develop and to become the person that God wants us to be. 
God is faithful. So what is my response? I thank you, God. In every place, in every situation, I thank you, God. I thank you. (laughs) Because he loves me. He has a plan for me. And he will keep me every step of the way. Now's the time to say amen. Amen. Father, we thank you for the abundance that you give to us, for the blessings you bestow upon us, for the help that you give us. Lord, for how the good things and the difficult things come into our life. And God, you are there. We give you thanks and we give you praise. We love you because you love us. And so we thank you for all these things, the blessings you've brought into our life, We do not come here to pick up a blessing. God, we come here to be a blessing to you and to others. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 God bless you.